This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Great to have you along as always. This is turning into a spider web of a story. As you've been hearing in Zoomer Radio News, Bruce MacArthur was apparently known to police before he was arrested in January and charged with six counts of first degree murder. The Toronto Star is reporting that MacArthur was brought in after the 2014 closure of a police investigation called Project Houston, which investigated three missing people. What we don't know are the the circumstances under which MacArthur was brought in at that time. Certainly, we can garner more perspective on this case by turning to security and crime specialist Ross McLean, who joins me in studio. Welcome, Ross. Good to be with you to help uh, unpack this, this uh, incredible investigation. What do we know about that 2014 police encounter with MacArthur? We, we don't know very much at all. What we do know is there's been a few stories out today that say that Mr. MacArthur was brought in and the police talked to him about something. Uh, one report says it was related to the missing men. Another report says it was in relation to something else. So, of course, people talk to the police all the time. So it raises the specter of, uh, was there some sort of police uh, dropping the ball on this or did they not deal with it correctly? And uh, that's what the play is in the news today for this one. Is it possible that when MacArthur was brought in in 2014 that it was related to the three men who had gone missing since 2010? I think it's quite possible. I mean, one of the things that people have to understand about how these investigations go on, and and this was a very difficult one. I mean, you're looking at historical uh, missing men uh, with no crime scenes, no victims, no evidence of crimes, just men who have disappeared, and some men who are also on the list who reappeared uh, later. Uh, so the police are looking at this, trying to find something, and they're not able to find any criminal activity or tie it to someone. However, what they would have done at the time is they would have explored the missing men, what they had done, who they had talked to, where they went, and they would have uh, done some digging and some reporting on that. So I wouldn't have been sur- I would not be surprised that they would have spoken to this person at some point. Same as if there was a a homicide down the street from the studios here. I'd expect the police would talk to everybody on on the street and uh, there'd be a report filed somewhere that we spoke to this neighbor, they weren't home, they saw nothing, or this neighbor thought they saw a car. There'd be some sort of record of what they did do. But why Bruce MacArthur? Why would he be targeted for questioning back in 2014? Well, the question is with this one, was he targeted or was he brought in for something else? See, one of the things when you look at this, the police deal with people uh, for all kinds of different reasons, car accidents, witnesses to something, maybe someone complained about him. I mean, don't forget, this is a man that we're learning now, had a bad temper. He assaulted and beat someone from behind with a pipe back in 2001. Uh, he's, so it could have been he was involved and brought in for something else and spoken to. So the question really becomes here, where does that end up in the database, Jane? See, here's one of the issues. Let's say he was brought in as a, as a witness to a theft that went on next door or something. How does his name get encoded into a database? What's the crime code that goes on that? And if the detectives are now looking for everything on this guy, 
Is the database searchable by that? Does it look for every name of every person involved in every investigation? Or are you just looking for um, assaults and, and that sort of thing and seeing if his name comes up? So the question here becomes, are the information systems... Uh, shareable and searchable mm. by the police to find this information. Well, and, and and to that question, what is the answer to that? Some of them aren't. Some of them aren't. That's why when you look at some of the major cases we've talked about on about here before, the Tim Bosma murder, the police uh, came up with, back in about 2000, major case management system, which allows all sorts of police forces to have input and put in data and share it between departments. And the police have gotten much, much better at sharing information between departments. But... Sometimes uh, you look at this particular case, what database of information was where that the police could have had and looked at. And and something I want to bring up, I think I've talked about it on the station before. These missing men started in about 2010. And this report is supposedly 2014 when MacArthur came in. But in 2013, January, then outgoing chief of police Bill Blair stopped quietly the carding program. He didn't announce it. And they sealed up the database for all the cartings that were going on. And what the carting is, those are reports. If I'm a copper, I'm out on the street, and there's a beef between uh, a couple of guys on Church Street. And it turns out one guy says, oh, well, you know, uh, he abused me while, you know, we, we made a deal for having some sex. And this guy would be, I don't want to complain, but, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, the police would do up a report, a card on that, a 172 that says spoke to this person, spoke to that. There was a dispute. It's not a criminal record, but it's a file that the police have. So what they used to be able to do if an occurrence happened somewhere, you'd say, let's go check the 172 files. And you happen to find out, and this has happened in the past, a body was found somewhere up north, and then you find out a police officer stopped a suspicious car that night in that area with a license plate on it. And then they tie that to the murder. So... Those are the sort of databases that maybe were or were not searched because it would be politically insensitive at the time when the carding profiling was stopped. This is, these are some of the questions that I know Chief Saunders is looking into. He wants to find out where the gaps are in the investigations. What about uh, the incident in 2001? So MacArthur pleaded guilty to hitting a man a number of times with a metal pipe on Halloween 2001. This admission of guilt took place in 2003. He was then barred from an area that included the city's gay village and prohibited from spending time there. Was there ever an end date to his barring from the gay village? I believe there was a time limit that was put on it, but there's also some discussion that he applied for and received a pardon for that crime. So that may not have been searchable. I mean, you know, the issue today is, and listen, privacy is a very important issue. We all know that. But police are allowed to only keep and record and look at certain information and query it in certain ways when they have it. So is there a problem now that certain databases of information isn't being kept or isn't being looked at? I mean, these are some of the questions I think that need to be looked at because the police, and in fact, I heard the detective say it, the lead detective, who's very, very good on this, by the way, he was on one of the missing men projects for looking at the missing men for doing it. And detectives uh, like Hank Adzinga, they are like a pit bull on a side of roast beef when you put a case in front of them. That's how they get promoted to places like the Homicide Squad. They look, they look for details. They don't want to let something go. So the question here is, was there nothing that, that was findable, that was executable by the police to act on evidence? I mean, the police can't arrest somebody because of rumors. They have to have some evidence. Uh, was, was that missing? 
or, did, or was the ball dropped? There will be an mm-hmm. investigation, and the, and the chief has launched an investigation into that to see how it's being looked after. Your questions or comments are welcome on the Bruce MacArthur case here with our crime and security specialist, Ross McLean, 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. When we look back at the list of missing men, uh, as you mentioned, to 2010, and the fact that Project Houston was called off, shut down in April of 2014, and then sometime around later that year, Bruce MacArthur is reportedly brought into question about an unrelated, possibly an unrelated incident. What what about those men who were missing, uh, the three men who were the focus of Project Houston? Whatever became of them? Well, we're finding out now that some of them were, in fact, victims. And, they've, and Mr. MacArthur's been charged with their murder. Since they were able to get the information to be able to go in and arrest Mr. MacArthur, uh, search his place, get a warrant on it, go through all of his devices. The police released a picture the other day that I, I feel fairly confident was... Uh, it's an unknown victim. They don't know who it is, but... And I won't go into the graphic details mm-hmm. of this, but I, but I believe that would have been a, a trophy picture uh, likely taken by the whoever killed him. It's alleged that Mr. MacArthur uh, would have been the author of his fate. And, you know, the police, they're working hard to try and nail down this case while being sensitive to the community here. Because, you know, look, there's, there's some issues. When you're investigating uh, missing men in, in the gay village, it's got built into it some cultural problems that are there. People don't like to out other people because there's sometimes there's married people who go there mm-hmm. or other people who don't want people to know. There's people, even the one gentleman who came forward the other day and gave an interview yes. to Global News who said he was basically in the kill position and photographed and the police knew about him after as soon as they raided MacArthur's apartment. Yes. He said, look, I didn't come forward because I had an open relationship with my partner. I was supposed to tell him that I was doing that and I didn't, so I didn't want to get in trouble with him. So th- there's there's a, a veil of secrecy and not sharing and, and probably a wondering of how is this information going to be dealt with if we tell the police. So I think together the community and the police need to come up with an understanding, a working understanding of how, how these, these men, like these sex workers who are apparently victims of Mr. MacArthur, how they can come forward and speak with the police and, and still have their privacy, if you will, looked after, or that they won't be harassed by the police. Just a working arrangement to do that so that it keeps people safe from things like this happening. I mean, this is just horrific, this case. When you go back, uh, the Toronto Star has a timeline here of when the men went missing, and we're counting up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, along with the unidentified man this week. So that's eight. There are six counts of first-degree murder. So two of the men who have gone missing, one of whom has died, have not been accounted for in terms of any uh, criminal relationship yet with, with MacArthur. Right. And the issue is they've got four of the remains, of the seven remains that they found, are yet to be identified. They're not able to tie them to a person. So the count could still go up from this, you know, when we look at this. And, and we see how this man operated, like you say, if you look at the dates and the times on this, 2010, 2010, 2012, 2000, I mean... This guy was a very active killer, this this alleged Bruce MacArthur. He was very, very active in doing this. So uh, I certainly, and the detective has said, he expects the numbers to go up on this. And 
You know, one other point. Just, I'm sorry, this just came back to my mind, Jane, when we were talking about this. The detective said the last time he was out that they're looking at all sorts of other cases, unsolved cases now, not just missing men in the gay village. They're looking at other unsolved homicide cases. They're looking at other what are classified as sudden death cases to see if he may have been responsible for them. For example, that could be someone was found at the bottom of a, a balcony from a building somewhere. Did they jump or did they fall or we don't know? It's a sudden death. They're going to go back and look at these cases. So they are now expanding the databases and the places they're looking at and the cases they're looking at to tie to this man. So it's widening. The police are going after all this, but this is almost unprecedented. The the story that you referenced a moment ago about uh, Sean Cribben told Global News he had a 2017 sexual encounter with MacArthur. His story is chilling. And he says if it wasn't for the roommate who came home at some point during this encounter, he may be, he might be dead. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. This is the first real discussion we've had about a roommate. The police have not said they've charged anybody else or are looking at anybody else. Uh, You know, Mr. MacArthur also has a son who's in trouble with the law and before the courts and a bunch of uh, different um, sex-related crimes issues and those sort of things. Maybe it was his son who was staying with him at the time. But no, that story was chilling. And that would have, could have been another man. And look, when the police arrested this guy, the reason they went in was because they saw a sex worker going into his house, into his apartment that day. And they kicked, and they're sitting back there thinking, what do we do? And they so he in. was under surveillance for, oh, yeah. for oh, some yeah. time. But why? Why do we? Why? Something would have led to him being under surveillance. Well, they, they had uh, uncovered the fact that he was going to get rid of a vehicle, and rather than sell it, he was taking it to a wreckers. And uh, the vehicle was recovered. They found DNA evidence in it, and they had looked back and they had saw that he had gotten rid of another vehicle earlier, which they were able to recover. There was DNA evidence in that. So they're seeing, once again, and this is what investigators look for, a pattern. That's what helps to solve these problems a little bit is the pattern. They were able to find this information, and so they were watching him when they had the DNA. And they saw this man go in, and they had to make a decision. Do we continue to watch him to try and get more evidence? Or what do we do? And they decided no. They kicked the door in, and they found this guy strapped to a bed in the same position as this other man who spoke the other day, who could have been another potential victim sort of thing. And I understand post that. I mean, the police aren't talking about it too much. They, they've, that man had to go into the mental health treatment centers to get some counseling to be looked after. And I also understand, this is what I'm told, is that a few of the detectives involved in that case uh, have reached out to that guy and they told him, here's our numbers, our home phone numbers, everything. You call us if you have any trouble dealing with this or managing this. The police really want to get this one right. They don't want to be seen as someone who doesn't care and is not it would look aside just because of who the victim is. That's not the way these cops operate. It just isn't. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. Your questions for our crime and security specialist, Ross McLean, uh, specifically about the Bruce MacArthur case. Let's go to Sharon in Hamilton. Hi, Sharon. Go ahead. Hello, Jane. How are you? Fine, thanks. What do you have to say? Um, well, um, did, did they find Bruce MacArthur yet? Did they find him yet? Well, they have him yes. in custody. Yeah, he's in custody. Oh. He's been, he was arrested in January, and uh, he's in jail, and he's got his lawyer's team, and he's, uh, he's up on charges. He'll be coming up to court again uh, very shortly for another uh, bail appearance, which he's not getting. Okay, Sharon? Will he ever, will he ever get bail? 
listen, I mean, I'm not going to prejudice his case, but uh, it would be a fair comment to say I'm not sure he's ever going to see the light of day again unless his lawyers can find something that absolutely proves that there's no way he was involved in any of these deaths. And, and can you explain to us, Ross, what's going on behind the scenes? What kind of questioning is going on between detectives and Bruce MacArthur? Well, I asked uh, Detective Zinga. Uh, if he is, when the, with this, just after the arrest, I said, did you actually get a chance to interview him and speak to him? And if so, did he cooperate? And Detective Edzinga, who's very good at answering as many questions as he can without compromising the case, he said to me, yes, I did interview him. Yes, I did speak to him. And no, I'm not going to tell you whether he cooperated or he, or he did not. Now, I'll just tell you my analysis of that, because post that, after he was arrested, the police went and started seizing those planters out of that home. I have an idea that Detective Edzinga got him. This is my guess. I don't know this. I got a feeling he got him to talk. Yeah, because how else would they know to go and look at planters at a home where he worked? The, these uh, these detectives, you know, the, the, the skill, I don't think people sometimes understand the skill it takes to be a very, very good homicide detective. You have to have patience. You have to be able to work years on a case with no results. You have to have determination that you'll run down each lead, that if the leads run down a place that you really wanted it to work out, but they're not working out, you'll let it go. You have to deal with the horrific scenes of these of these dead bodies and of these people. And let me tell you, it can be very graphic. And this one in particular, I think, is a terrible thing for any of the investigators to have to look at what happened to these, uh, these men and these bodies. You've got to be able to do that. But you know what? You have to be able to sit down and talk to someone who's a psychopathic killer and get them to think that you're their friend and you understand them or that you're the stern person who needs them to talk. And they're able to get people to talk. And they're also, they have to have the skill set to talk to victims. Can you imagine how many family members this detective's had to talk to to tell them about this, about the thing? So it's it's a real skill set. And we've got some great homicide detectives here. And uh, I'm looking forward to them putting nails in each one of these charges and hopefully getting more information to... Uh, to help the community and all the family members of all these other missing people, uh, some closure. A couple of questions. How similar is this case to the Paul Bernardo case of uh, many years ago now, when he had been brought in, uh, I have to refresh my memory on this, but with the Scarborough rapist case, and then, uh, you know, there was some there was some confusion around different police departments and whether information had gotten there. It was it, kind of similar in a way. Well, you're right. And you go back to the point that it's information sharing going back and forth. And the major difference, of course, with Bernardo is he had victims. And there was so there were crime scenes and they could find things. And people knew what they were looking for. His picture was on the front page of the newspapers uh, for crying out I loud. I remember. Yeah. But, you know, but the issue is forensic science has, has gone a lot further, uh, faster ahead since then. And the information sharing in the databases are a lot further ahead. Um, but this guy, uh, MacArthur, the alleged uh, killer here, he worked to cover up his crimes. I mean, the, the, Mr., the guy who gave his talk the other day said he was a potential victim. He mentioned how, oh, he told me to park my vehicle a few blocks away from his home and he'd come get me. And he says, after, I wonder if that's because he didn't want me showing up on the security camera with my vehicle. That's what Cribben said to Global News, yes. too, so, the guy who survived. So here's a guy who's planning. The police are looking for me. How do I cover this up? And, you know, I don't know this, but I'm going to say this as well. You know, Police Saunders has taken a lot of heat, a lot of heat on this case, when he made the comment in December that there's no evidence that they're looking for a serial killer. 
And they're saying, well, look, now there's a serial killer. What are you? Incompetent? Were you lying to us? What were you doing? Look it. They were watching Bruce MacArthur at that time. They were watching him. And the last thing you want to do, sometimes police like the idea of making someone skittish and scared and watching them run and see where they go. Sometimes they like that. Other times they don't want anybody to know that they're onto them. So, and, and the chief, quite rightly sometimes, a good chief does not get in the way of his detectives. He doesn't stick his nose in the middle of every case. If he's got a good detective, he trusts that detective to do the work. And at that point, they did not have evidence that there was a serial killer. So uh, I just want to give the chief uh, that at least back up on this. Had he said at that time, you know what, we are looking for a serial killer. This guy, who they now have charged with six homicides, was out and running around. He might have stopped and not done something or, or hid more evidence or who knows what before they got onto him. Those planters could have been disappeared before the police were onto it. Who knows? So this is a tough case. Tough case, Jim. Okay, Ross, uh, we've got some Zoomer radio listeners who want to ask you questions or offer their comments before we change topics. Let's go to Al in Brantford. Hi, Al, go ahead. Yeah, the question here is for quite a few years now, the police have had a computer in their car and they key in, they used to key in late numbers randomly looking for tickets. I know that for a fact. Yeah. But carrying on from there, nowadays the, they've got a camera that does that and does the search. Now, with all that information, the vehicles, where they are, where they were seen, is there not a record of that? Well, there will be records of that. In fact, there was a homicide that was carried out, there's been so many of them, about two, two three years ago up in Woodbridge where somebody went in and uh, gunned down about three or four people in the back of a, you know, an Italian cafe that had a little gaming house in the back. And that car was discovered by an automatic license plate recognition when he had ditched the car. He had ditched the car and it was picked up and hit on right away by that. So you're right. The police have lots of databases to be look, looking at, and that's what they're going through with this. So you're right about that, caller. All right, let's go to Michael in Pickering. You have a question for Ross McLean. Go ahead, Michael. You're on the air on yes, Zimmer Radio. Um, um, and back in the 70s, I used to live, I was going to university, I used to live at George and Wellesley. Um, I'm straight, by the way, and I lived on Maitland. Um... Yes, I know Maitland uh, off of uh, Church. Did we lose you, Michael? I think we lost him there. Let's yeah. go to the next. Oh, did you want to say? I was something? just going to say, lots of people have ties to that area. Oh lots yes, of people, so yes. Many. Okay, let's go to Jerry in Toronto. Hi, Jerry. Go ahead. Yeah, in the many years ago, back in the uh, mid '60s and early '70s, I spent a number of years on the uh, Toronto Police Department. And during those times, uh, we used to cultivate uh, informants in many, many different areas. And it seems to be that that wasn't done in this case, because with the number of people that went missing over the number of years, I think it would have been uh, probably been able to nip in the bud a little earlier if they had cultivated some informants in those areas that might have brought this to light at much earlier. Yeah, Jerry's right, and that, that ties into what I was talking about with the, the carding in the 172s. I'm sure Jerry filled in a lot of those. And, you know, Jerry, I can remember back in my day on the job, uh, a long time ago it seems now, I can remember going over a case in the detective's area and someone say, hold on, I stopped a guy like that uh, last week. Let me get my notebook or let me get the cards out. And you'd have good information on, on the neighborhood, and, that, and that's something that you do for nailing this. But all of that carding stopped in 2013, and the database was locked up. And, you know, the other issue, like I brought up, that 
I think the community and the police really have to work together on is is the sensitivity of this issue. Like, had the police, let's say since 2010, Jane, the police were down there taking down profile information on sexual habits of people and where they were, what they were doing, and recording license plates, there'd have been an uproar that the police were collecting that information, and, and probably rightly so. But So there's been a lot of backing off by the police in certain areas, not just in the gay village, but out in some of the hard, the big crimes areas. Cops are doing a little bit more, hey, I'm not going unless there's a crime and someone calls me because someone will complain about me, that I'm being, I'm being racist or I'm being a homophobe or I'm being Islamophobe or I'm being a cop or whatever it is. So we, we have to get some of this figured out. And it's not, a, it's not an easy job. It's not an easy job. Well, I really appreciate your analysis and perspective today. It's been fascinating. Thank you. Yeah, well, I, I just want to say, Again, I'm really pulling for the police to nail this down and for the community and the police uh, to come together on the go forward on this. It's, it's really important. There's still a long road to go on this case, Jane. Crime and Security Specialist Ross McLean. We will see Ross again, hear Ross again soon. You're listening to Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane for Libby. And coming up next, free investment advice from financial expert Alan Small. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.